Hello, and welcome to Firmly Grasp It, a podcast about sports and all its being. I'm your host, Evan Greenberg. For today's episode of Quickly Grasp It, our fun historical segment, 30 Minutes or Less, it's just me and my main podcast guest, my co-host, you know him as the King of Jordan, Sammy Oshawopka. Sammy, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. This episode, I gotta say, it shouldn't enjoy. I shouldn't enjoy this topic as much as I do, but I guess I'm a sport. I'm a big sports conspiracy guy. I want controversy. <laughs> We've talked about with the Saints recently. We talked about controversy. We, I like that stuff. I want it as crazy and as wild. I want as many hot takes possible. And this is one of a very old example of major controversy that's still talked about today. And not only that, it must hold dearly to your heart as a Knicks or as of now formerly Knicks fan. If only the Knicks had won anything from it, I probably would take it more to heart. Because getting Patrick Ewing, although it was a great moment, I'm sure, for people living in 1985, he was pretty, that was pretty, towards the end of the Knicks run, but, well, by the time I was really remembered sports, the first team I kind of remember was the 99 Sprewell Houston Knicks, who made the finals, but I didn't even really remember that, and then after that, they were not really done anything since. Thanks, James Dolan. Best, best manager or owner in sports next to, uh, what's his name in Washington? (laughs) Dan Snyder? Yeah, Dan Snyder. Two of the best owners in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> you had a Mount Rushmore of, of owners. Those two are on it. Oh, 100%. Right now, and then maybe you have Robert Sarver, Vivek, as a couple <laughs> other NBA guys. I'm sure there are some NHL ones. The Marlins owner right now is pretty pretty bad. I mean, I'm not no fan of the Rams owner. I, I refuse to say his name as an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Mr. Kroenke. I refuse to say his name. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's let's get on to our topic. This one, as be, talking about the Knicks, we're talking about the 1985 NBA draft, particularly the lottery system, because this was the first year that there was really a lottery. Before 1985, there was really only the bottom two teams that mattered, and the commissioner did a coin flip to determine which one got the number one pick and which one got the number one two pick. After that, it was just based on your record. So... Tanking, we think about tanking recently, especially the Sixers and a couple other teams, the process and all that. In the early 1980s, tanking was even worse. Teams were just going for it. The Clippers were going crazy. The Houston Rockets getting Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon in back-to-back years. They were really big on it. The Pacers were just really bad a couple years in a row. So tanking was bad. And David Stern. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Newly minted commissioner at the time. He became commissioner in 83. He said after that 83-84 draft that they needed a change, which led to the new draft lottery. And it's not the fancy lottery that we see now. It's not with the giant ping pong ball. There's no, no crazy math. All it was was this giant globe and seven envelopes. So it was the bottom seven teams. They all had an equal chance of getting the number one pick or number two, or number three, or number four, or five, six, seven. It wasn't like now where there's a whole different... No, there's all like top three or 14%, and before that, it was the number one pick at 25%. It's not nothing. It was nothing like that. It was just seven large envelopes in this globe, plastic tr- globe that you could see through. They spun a few times, and then Stern would just take them out one by one, and it was seventh pick, sixth pick, fifth pick, fourth pick, blah, 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 to number one. So that's what we were dealing with. The very old and potentially very easy to manipulate that's the key 
I just want to say, imagine in the system before the lottery, where they do a, when they when they do the coin flip. Imagine you spend the whole season tanking just to be second best. That's what happened to the Clippers and Pacers. Both of them, when the Rockets were back to back the years before, it was because they both tanked their hearts out and still lost the coin flip. But this one made it even worse because we'll get into it. But the 1985 with the 1985 draft order. As I mentioned, there were seven teams. Guess who had the seventh worst record of the seven teams? Or the best record of the seven teams? For this draft, right? For 1985. Wait, you said seven best? Well, the seven worst records had the seven best odds. Or ah, all the equal odds. Well, so which, one was the best? which one of them had the best record? Obviously, obviously it had to be the Knicks, you know? They were clearly the number one draft pick. Correct, yeah. They were number <laughs> one pick and had the seventh best odds. And in the reverse, the team that had the worst odds and the worst record that year, or who had the worst record that year, would have had a 50-50 chance the year before. The Golden State Warriors, they ended up with the seventh pick. They went with se- yeah, I was going to say, they were they were seventh, I want to I remember. Yeah, they were seventh in the Knicks for one, completely flip-flopped. I mean, at least for the Warriors, it still ended up working out for them, given who they drafted, but still. Yeah, they ended up getting Chris Mullen seventh overall. However, we should kind of reverse back to... Not only was this, could you argue it was just rigged for the sake of rigging, but why this draft was so important. And that was because of one man, and his name was Patrick Ewing. Absolute tank from Georgetown. Three-year finalist winning it once with Georgetown. Definitely the most one of the most coveted players coming out from college outside of Michael Jordan during this time in the 80s. And pretty much... Any team that would have lucked their way to getting him would have been in a contender immediately, as we saw with the Knicks when they ended up drafting him. As a college player, he was much more hyped than Michael Jordan. Yes, we just saw the last dance and they talked about Jordan Mania. Jordan Mania really was a Chicago Bulls NBA thing. Patrick Ewing was the star of college basketball. As you mentioned, made the NCAA National Championship three times, winning at one of them, just a all-around dominant big man. Virtually no weaknesses offensively or defensively was maybe the most hyped college prospect ever. And at this time, it was most likely maybe the most just hyped NBA prospect. LeBron James coming after that. And then you had guys like Anthony Davis, who could argue. But in 1985, nobody was hotter than Patrick Ewing. He was a seven foot player that could rebound, post, score, just literally do everything. He also had a nice mid range jumper. He was a decent passer out of the post. He really did not have any flaws as the archetypal big man of the 1980s. Who else was on that Georgetown? I was trying to remember. There, there was another guy on that Georgetown. I mean, it was basically all Ewing for, for the most part. But I feel like there was another name that I'm blanking off that was with that team. I can't. I don't know. I can't think of him off the top of my head. Not that it matters. No, it not doesn't matter. <laughs> because you got to remember also, this wasn't the time of the one and dones where nowadays there was no chance Patrick Ewing was staying in college as long as he did. Georgetown was a culture with John Thompson, very rich in staying four years, very determined. Everyone got their degrees, and that's how everything went. Nowadays, Patrick Ewing would have been a one-and-done, 100%. But in this day, the more you saw him, the more you loved him, and there was still a pretty strong correlation between college success and NBA success. Yeah, it's, it's not like in the NFL where there's a huge physical difference. Basketball, it's it's... That, that difference is way thinned down. It just comes down to your athleticism overall. 
And now it's also different because back, as we mentioned, the big man was the big ticket in basketball back then. Nowadays, you can see a big man kind of destroy everybody, but that doesn't guarantee any sort of success because all the, the big men just aren't the same type of players that they would be. So having a back-to-the-basket guy in college is likely not going to translate. We're in the 80s, and after that and before that, it certainly did. Would you say Zion pretty much has a similar build to him coming out from Duke? Some more hype, you mean? Hype, I guess, I don't know, his ability? Abilities are very different, but uh, in terms of hype, it's different. Zion was a hype prospect since he was 15 years old. Patrick Ewing, it, it guess if you extrapolated Zion's three years of high school into his one year of college, the last four years, pretty equivalent. I could, if you want to, yeah, if you want a modern comparison, the last four years of Zion would be pretty comparable to how people felt about Patrick Ewing in, in the 1980s. So where's the problem in the draft? It's obviously they, the, the best, the worst team got the best pick. There's no conspiracy whatsoever. Well, as I said, it wasn't like now where it's an auto-generated ping-pong setup. There were just seven envelopes, and each one had the logo of one team. And it was this was the first year, coincidentally, it was also on TV. David Stern knew he didn't he had no idea that the NFL or the NBA draft would be what it became, but he knew the more exposure the better. So he got it on TV. Although he got it on USA Network, it wasn't on any of the. Foxes or ESPNs, which was in its infancy at the time. He got on USA, and one year he said, in early on, they actually had to pay USA to have the draft on. That's that's how different of a time we're talking about. Now everyone be paying them to have the draft on their channel. Yeah, so the lottery, it was the top seven, through the envelopes, all the GMs were there, went one by one, and you watch the guy put them in. So he throws the first one in, throws the second one in, throws the third one in, throws the fourth one in. Fourth one, he threw a little too hard. So it bangs against the globe and then falls. And then he throws five, throws six, throws seven. David Stern makes an act of not looking at the globe, not knowing, not having any idea whatsoever. He does the, like when you're looking at a pink, like at a bingo set where he just rolls the thing, he one, two, three, four, five. And then Stern, they open it up. Stern comes over, feels around, decides he likes one, pulls it out. That's the one that was the number one pick. And then from there, they kind of took everything else out. So where's the problem? That sounds easy done, simple as. Where's the problem? Well, as I mentioned, that fourth envelope, the one that hit the wall, people swear that there was a nice slow crease on it. It got a little creased, a little banged up, that envelope. So when Stern put his hand in there, he just had a feel for it, and he knew which one that was, which some would argue was the New York Knickerbockers. And it's not like David Stern was a, you know, from New York and felt that the Knicks needed to become a, a bigger team than what they already were at this point or anything like that. No, nothing like that. Well, there's no personal bias, obviously. It's not that he grew up a Knicks fan. Definitely not that. And it's not that David Stern continually and repeatedly talked about while he was commissioner and even coming up before then, the big markets mattered. He cared about the big markets. He could not care about the small markets. The big markets are what made the money that attracted the audience. That's how he was going to get big. It was about the L.A.'s, the Chicago's, the Boston's, the New York's. Those are the cities that mattered. So a New York team that really had been 
pretty much irrelevant since their last championship in 73. And we're dying for that superstar player. Well, coincidentally, changing the draft, getting the most hyped college prospect in a long time, getting him to a big market team instead of an Indiana or Golden State, who now is kind of a big market, but they were overshadowed by L.A. very much so, the Lakers at that point. Yeah, no evidence at all. And not only that, I mean, if you look at that Knicks team that before they got Ewing, you could argue that their biggest hole was the big man. So what better than getting the number one big man in the entire draft? I would say that didn't even matter. Ewing was number one no matter. You could have oh, had. For if, sure. If, if Rockets, for some reason, led number one with Ralph Sampson, Akeem Olajuwon, I think they would have taken Patrick Ewing. Anyway. <laughs> That's how good Patrick Ewing was. We're not. It's not, we're not really being hyperbolic here in terms of what people expected of him at the time. I mean, he was great in Space Jam, too. Can't, can't leave that out. Yeah, he was okay. He was past his prime. He was no MJ or no uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> Gotta go Bill Murray in, in that. <laughs> oh, of course. He's my favorite character. I've heard... So anything else you want to add about the situation itself? Oh, about the situation itself? No, but I have something for when it comes to picking out the envelope. I, I love the, the theories behind all the different ways they they he could have uh, known, other than the Benton one. Like, I'm sure you're aware of which one I'm talking yeah, we'll about. Yes, there are several. We'll get into them in a bit. I want, But I want to get into either, if you I guess you don't have anything before that, and then we can talk about the other point of view, which is that it happened normally. There is no legitimate shred of evidence that points to this draft being rigged. I know we're halfway through this episode already, but I guess this is now the point where we should make that. But no one has said it really on the record or off the record. Everybody involved will deny it. David Stern says it never happened. There was a lot of joking around early on about it. And then people started to start getting pissed because no one seemed to take a joke, which it's more prevalent now than ever. People concerned really <laughs> not being able to take a joke. So there's no evidence actually to it. And it's not like there's been plenty of other drafts since that you could have, if it bounced one way or another, you could have argued that the, it was rigged and then it wasn't. Like the, the year that the Knicks got the fourth pick when they had the worst record in the league, when they ended up taking Porzingis. There were years like that. The fact that the Lakers... Never got that number one pick. They were the number two pick for a few years in a row, but never got that coveted number one spot. So there's been other opportunities. The only other one that's been very fishy was the New Orleans Anthony Davis one because just after or at the time the NBA owned the New Orleans Pelicans. So that one was a little fishy. Other than that, there's been pretty clean record of some sort of. Also, I don't know maybe. Dan Gilbert had some deal with David Stern when the Cavs were just getting the first pick every single year post LeBron. That was pretty fishy. Yeah, uh, that was the one. I, I was going to say, I mean, the Kyrie Irving pick, I, I get that the Cavs needed that first round, first overall pick, but I feel like it was just a trend of just way too many first ra- first overall picks for them. That one bothered me more than the, than the Pelicans or the Hornets at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it was Kyrie. It was it was those four years. Kyrie was twenty eleven. Anthony Davis is twenty twelve, and then Wiggins in twenty third. No, Anthony Bennett in twenty thirteen, and then Andrew Wiggins in twenty fourteen. So, four years in a row, it was possibly rigged, potentially, maybe, potentially, allegedly, allegedly. 
Allegedly. There you go. So it's conspiracized. It's cold hard facts right here, folks. Yeah. Let's. So now that we've laid out the groundwork, that it is only conspiracy theorists and crackpots like us that are pretty certain that it was rigged. And what other ways besides the envelope are some theories as to how David Stern knew that that was the next envelope? My genuine favorite one is the frozen envelope. The most other popular one. Which, where the theory is that they left the card in like a freezer overnight before the draft so that when he pulls it out from the lottery bingo thing itself, he can be able to tell which one is the Knicks one just by how cold it was. Which I just think that level of like... You're, you're doing this on television where people are watching you to be able to pull that off without like making a face or keeping it calm or like like it was normal. Nothing happened. If that ended up being the case, then that's that is props to David Stern. <laughs> I like that one more than the bent envelope theory. There are some other ones, too. Those are the two most realistic ones, probably. But there were a few other potential ones that were kind of even more ridiculous. Oh, is one of them yeah. the? Uh, oh, I was gonna guess is one of them the the deep exhale when he just goes when he opens it. Uh-oh. There were some other weird ones. Like I think people thought that like AI was involved somehow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of interesting ones. I'm trying to figure out where it was. Yeah, the one that I was mentioning, though, he gives, like, a deep exhale as if, like, he's pretending as if he doesn't know what's going to come out. And, yeah, when he when he opens it to draft it, he lets out a huge exhale. And he looks away from the camera so that it's, like, he doesn't look like he's guilty. Yeah, there was also a potential sleight of hand. That oh, yep. That's another one. one. So that there was that was a very good one. Uh, yeah, there were a few other... Interesting ones, more unrealistic than this one in particular. But it's always it's entertaining to see how that kind of worked. And I think I read about about this draft was that they had a an Ewing Knicks jersey ready immediately. Yeah. Also, I believe some of the kind of some of the people who were conducting the draft besides Stern, they were some attorneys or they were some law firm that was kind of, I don't know if they were sponsoring it or they were kind of some partnership with the NBA. It was a law firm that was also a law firm for the owners of the New York Knicks at the time. That's another mm. fun look. I remember. So, we got, we got, I got to, all right, what are you going to add? I was going to say, um, I was reading his last statements to rep- to reporters on during that draft he goes, we were very pleased with the lottery. The interest was great. People are talking about the lottery instead of drugs. Oh? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you know, I mean, you you watched The Last Dance. You know that was kind of huge drug use. This was kind of right before the rivalry between the Lakers and Celtics, Bird and Magic, opened up. So there was a lot of problems. They said a few years back, a few teams, they had to almost fold a few teams because the league was doing so poorly. This was not what you think of the NBA. The first finals weren't on TV live until 1980. Dang, as a a basketball fan, I can't imagine finding out the next day if my team won in the finals or not. 
Yeah, you did not you did not get to watch it on TV. It was on tape delay too at the time, I should mention. So it wasn't even live live. Was radio a th- radio was a thing, right? Probably yeah, not there too. Do it on radio, but you couldn't actually watch the game certain like certain most games until then. Imagine like the big moments like the LeBron block or Kawhi's bounce buzzle be- bu- uh, buzzer beater against the, the the Sixers last year. You only could hear it, but not watch it. That would be sick. Actually, the Kawhi one would be sick. <laughs> having an announcer bounce once, twice, third, four. It goes in the record. <laughs> Yeah, and just absolutely going nuts. I could that would be great. That could I would Blocked be. by James. Yeah, the James uh, the LeBron one you can't really encapsulate in audio as well. The Kawhi bounce that was timeless, really, in any platform of hearing, listening, whatever. But we got to ask now. We're at the point, Sammy. Was the nineteen eighty five NBA draft lottery rigged? I believe in the faith that David Stern is an honest man with no uh, sketchy background or any conspiracies, especially later on in, in his career with the as a commissioner of the NBA. I think he has the cleanest record out of all the commissioners in, in sport. Uh, it was not rigged. That felt heavily sarcastic, that entire thing. I don't, I'm not sure if it was intended to be. <laughs> it all felt sarcastic. It was very sarcastic. I okay. want to I sure. I say it's rigged, but also uh, uh, they just they did it so clean, you know? Yeah, it seems like it would, they would have been really good actors. I don't know. David Stern's either the greatest magician, because between that, you have the whole Jordan getting suspended for gambling potential thing, which I also like to believe. Like I said, I love sports conspiracies. The more than the better. So I'm going to believe this one. I'm going to say it was rigged. I'm going to say Jordan got kicked out of the league for 18 months. I'm going with all of it. So thank you, David Sturt. Thanks for giving the Knicks Patrick Ewing. Wish we could have won a championship with him, but it happens. Now I'm just imagining a Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon duo. <laughs> that would have been something else. Yikes. Yeah, like, good thing that didn't happen. Good thing that Houston wasn't didn't tank another year. <laughs> that would have been really, really unfair. Yeah, 100%. Anything else you want to add? Um, I want to say I feel bad for Patrick Ewing because he got stuck in probably the worst era where if he was in any other year, he probably would have won a championship or two. Um, but then also realized that, nah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, he had his opportunity. They made the finals during that Jordan off time and then subsequently lost to Olajuwon in those Rockets when Houston won their back-to-back championships while Michael Jordan was taking some time off. That was the Knicks. They had a good chance then. They had a good chance in 98. They had a good chance during the first three people. The Knicks had their opportunities. and they You had to, to deal with the Jordan Bulls, the Olajuwon Rockets, the, the Spurs towards the end of his career. Yeah, it was a it was a tough time. As always, to be a Knicks fan. Hey, at least you could also be a Jets fan, too. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to talk about Jamal Adams. (laughs) Uh, Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Hey, but you know who else? You You know who else was a Tiger? That was a star during these years. At least the 90s. Late, mid to late 90s. And then... Pretty much 2000s. Shaquille O'Neal. Good old Shaq. Go Tigers. Yeah. All right, Sammy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you all for listening. Let us know what you think. You can email us at grass2020 at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, DM us, or tag us at, a twi- at an Instagram at grasp2020, Facebook, firmly grasp it. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Quickly Grasp It, and we'll talk to you soon.